0: Let's <laughs> go. against the American people and their rights. Exercise your rights in a safe way. Stupidity to think that someone hell-bent on violating the law against murder will magically be stopped by a gun control law. Politicians that... Well, you heard the man. He said it twice. Let's go. We are locked in. We are loaded on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. It's also known as Second Amendment University. I am Royce, your host and Professor Emeritus of all Second Amendment studies. And I'm pouring it to you from both barrels, baby, with 100% felt recoil and no suppressor. Got a lot to talk about, as always, and if you'd like to talk to me directly, you can reach me via email at Royce at ShootingStraightRadio.com. Royce at ShootingStraightRadio.com. And you can also check out my website there at ShootingStraightRadio.com. All of the episodes are auto-loaded there uh, from iHeartRadio after they are published. So if you don't have a favorite medium to listen on, well, just go to shootingstraightradio.com. If you'd like first access to all episodes, you can do that by becoming a Patreon sponsor for as little as $5 a month. You will get first access to all episodes of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash Radio podcast and sign up there today. And not only will you get media and content that others just don't get, You also get my undying gratitude and thanks. You can also reach me on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast on Farcebook and reach me through the messenger service there. But be forewarned, I don't always see the notifications as soon as they pop up. Sometimes it takes a day or two before I see the notification. Okay? All righty. Well, if I was going to title the program at all today, it would be a question for the title And the question would be, which is more lethal, guns or people? Great question. Uh, I look around today at the state of America and the immorality that is so pervasive herein. I look at the violence that is plaguing our land, especially in Democrat-Communist-occupied territories, especially where DAs like Mr. Gascon, who managed to survive a recall effort in California. I'm sure it was all totally on the up and up too. (coughs) Anyway, um, that being said, he's still there and he is still failing to prosecute criminals and crime is still rising. He is backed by none other than George Soros, who also backs district attorneys and attorneys general in many other states and and also uh, heavily Democrat-controlled cities throughout the country. And the purpose of Mr. Soros' backing and installing these people is to uh, sow confusion and cause a spike in violent crime here in America. And all, of course, while calling to defund the police, right? So if uh, only the police and military should have guns and only they should be able to protect us and we shouldn't be able to protect ourselves, well, that doesn't bode well for people in those cities, especially New York, which I could do uh, three or four podcasts on in a row right now, but uh, we're not on them today. Um, They are getting hit with a massive crime wave because their district attorneys and their attorney general will not prosecute uh, violent crimes. They have reformed their bail laws where people are committing multiple felonies and being turned right back out on the street to commit more felonies so they can be arrested again and get turned right back out on the street and do it all over again. And, of course, the scapegoat for all of this is the gun companies, the gun retailers, the gun distributors, the gun sellers, and the gun owners, the keepers and bearers. Yes, it's all our fault. It couldn't possibly possibly, be. Going soft on crime at all. Well, if they, they claim that the problem is this iron pipeline of guns going to New York and the other states that have heavy gun control. Well, no, the problem is you outlaw firearms to your people, and anytime you ban anything, you automatically create an underground market because underground markets always immediately spring up whenever you ban any substance or any item. Okay it always springs up immediately because demand does not go away. You might be able to inhibit supply, but those guys are pretty crafty. They're pretty good at stealing guns and buying them through straw purchasers and then commanding a premium dollar in the underground market. They're going to get their hands on guns no matter what happens. So in this day and age where we've got this proliferation of firearms in the underground market, And yes, a proliferation of firearms to the the general public, and good, because we prove every day that we're not the problem with our guns. But this is a problem today because bad people seem to have proliferated far more heavily than guns ever did. So which is more dangerous, guns or people? Well, it all depends on the morality of any particular subset of society or any society in particular. If you have a moral society, you could let them drive a, an M1A1 Abrams tank to the store and back every day or to work and they would never do anything ill with it. They wouldn't run over other cars that got in the left-hand lane going too slow in spite of the fact that might be a little particular fantasy of theirs. They wouldn't machine gun people on the side of the road with the the fifty cow simply because they kept rapping on the side of the tank, asking for five bucks uh, and things like that. Um, They wouldn't do anything immoral with that absolutely lethal cannon They wouldn't blast people out of their way so they could get to work because they're in a hurry. They would do nothing immoral with that power that they were wielding because moral people wield power in a very moral fashion. That is, they're very restrained. They understand there's consequences for wielding power in a heavy-handed, despotic, criminal fashion. That being said, do you understand that we the people have every right to own an M1A1 Abrams tank. Oh, Royce, come on, man. Are you, are you kidding me? You, you imagine the bloodshed that would go on out there today? Yes, I, I, I can imagine it because there are certain people that don't need to be driving those things, and they're all called criminals and politicians. And, of course, these days that would include members of the ATF and the FBI. Yep, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I know. You're probably surprised I'm still here after the last couple of episodes. But, yep, I'm still here, baby. Let's go back to 1938. Back to 1938, all right? This was four years after the National Firearms Act had been, you know, passed. And this was actually uh, around the time a new NFA had passed and later failed, was superseded by the Gun Control Act of 1968. But back then in 1938, any Tom, Dick, or Harry, or Jane, or Joe could get a firearms dealer's license for a dollar. It was a shall-issue license, too. They had to issue it to you. And that equates to roughly $20 today in today's money. So for a little less than 20 bucks, you could get a an FFL, a dealer's license, and uh, people who were not dealers... Oh, yeah, if, they, if they didn't have a dealer's license, they really couldn't purchase across state lines, okay? So that's why they were getting these dealer's licenses. And believe it or not, back then, serial numbers were not required to be installed on, etched upon anything, any guns, except for machine guns, fully automatic weapons, short-barreled shotguns, and short-barreled rifles and suppressors, Uh, Those were required to be serialized. And, of course, removing the manufacturer's serial number, that was illegal back then. But believe it or not, manufacturers were not required to put serial numbers on most firearms that they were producing. So if they did put them on there, you can get in trouble for filing it off. But if they didn't put one on there at all, uh, oh well. And yes, in the course of my years in the gun industry, I've seen quite a few guns that were not serialized. Older weapons from way back, still in in, uh, circulation, still functioning just fine, and no serial number on them. So the 1938 National Firearms Act uh, did not, at the time, mandate record-keeping, nor did it require pre-approval background checks for any gun sales, except for, of course, the machine guns and the short-barreled rifles and shotguns and the suppressors, and no licenses were required for manufacturers either. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, and how was the crime rate back then? Well, all depended on what city you were living in. For the most part, crime was very low. If you lived in Chicago and other hell holes of corruption. Yeah, you, you, there was problems with violence. A lot of it was gang violence. A lot of it had to do with fighting over the liquor trade because why? The government had banned something. They had banned the making of alcohol. Yeah, that was back in the days where the ATF poisoned the alcohol supply, knowing people would drink it and die. They murdered over ten thousand people, but that's another story, and I've talked about that before, and I'm not going to go into it again. But yes, that, like I said, they've been murderers from the beginning, just like the devil himself. Um, but licenses were not required for manufacturers even back then. There was crime, but it was very low, and it was limited to areas like Chicago and New York City, and other places where gangsters had a stronghold, and they were peddling bootleg liquor and making filthy amounts of money in an underground market that was necessitated by the prohibition of alcohol. Yes, an underground market sprung up to meet the demand with supply. Criminals are ever the capitalists. Yes, they are. So, about, well, shoot. Um, what, seven or eight years later, around 1945, uh, this was after World War II, millions, literally millions of military surplus weapons, rifles, handguns, shotguns, were purchased from other countries all over the world and made available and sold to American citizens here in the United States market at very significantly reduced prices, serious bargain prices, and sales were very brisk. Uh, Many people, many citizens, many average Joes and average Janes availed themselves of, of this surplus weaponry that was left available after World War II. They put it on sale to the civilian market. So what changed? Huh? The people are the weapons. And contrary to assumptions that may be automatically engendered by leftists listening to my program, crime was very low, I repeat again. All types of military guns were available over the counter for cash. Cash was used primarily because credit cards, even though they had originated some uh Back in uh, 1920, like 18 years prior, they didn't really become popular for common usage until 1970, some 50 years later. So people were buying guns over the counter with no records, no background check, no nothing but a sales receipt, and crime was very low. Oh, they didn't have background. Nope, no background check. They didn't. Background check anybody, Mr. Brown or Mrs. Brown or Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones, They went down there and they plopped down whatever the price was for that uh, that used 45 automatic that may have been used to shoot a few of the enemy. Uh, or that M1 Garand, or that Browning automatic rifle, or that M1 carbine, or any other gun that was used in service during World War II. It could have been any other foreign country's firearms, too, that they used. Some of them were absolute crap, and I wouldn't have owned them for personal defense, but maybe for an heirloom or a keepsake or something like that. You know, I myself, I can remember when you could... You can even purchase guns by mail order from Sears and Roebuck catalog. I used to glom the sports section of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And that was back when a man by the name of Ted Williams, who was a, a, a famous baseball player, he put his endorsement brand on a lot of the items that Sears sold, whether they was fishing boats or even guns. And I remember the Ted Williams, 12 gauge shotgun and the Ted Williams, 22 rifle and, and all that stuff. Uh, T- Ted was a professional baseball player, by the way. And he, his career was roughly 20 years long. He was a major league baseball player. He played, uh, primarily out in left field. He played for the Boston Red Sox from 1939 to 1960, but You know, he suspended his career to join the military during World War II to go and fight for this country in World War II. He gave up his sports career, kind of like uh, an early version of Pat Tillman, to go and fight for his... He also served in the Korean War after World War II. That's an American man right there. You better believe it. But, you know, even... Through other companies and corporations, you could order even the vaunted M1 Garand and the M1 Carbine and the Browning Automatic Rifle. Uh, All of these are military rifles, and you could order them by mail order. And you know what else you could order by mail order? Anti-tank cannons, anti-aircraft cannons, and their ammunition. And you know where they were advertised? On the pages of the NRA publication, American Rifleman. Yeah, you could order it by mail. But crime was very low. What changed? The weapons or the people? And in spite of this massive proliferation of military weaponry, these weren't just military-style weapons. These were military weapons. Like I said, some of these had already been used uh, to kill America's enemies on foreign battlefields, or like some of the Crips and Bloods might say, they had bodies on them. And you know, only one crime was ever recorded where an anti-tank rifle was used... And it was not even a felonious assault. It had it was was more to do with carelessness and negligence. And fortunately, nobody was injured. So what changed since nineteen forty five? The guns or the people? Well, here's my answer. You ready? Both. Let me explain. The guns owned by the citizenry now, are actually less lethal than the ones owned back then. Yes, anti-tank cannons, anti-aircraft cannons, and their ammunition, far more lethal than my little evil black rifle, semi-automatic 5.56 caliber, far more, greater range, heavier punch, You could go clean through about 100 people with one of those things, not to mention tank armor. And you could blow airplanes out of the sky. So what changed? Well, the guns today are actually less lethal, and the people are more lethal. It's an absolute inversion of 1945, where the guns were more lethal, but the people were less lethal. What changed? The people. Morality, or a lack thereof, in these days, I should say. When we come back, I'm going to read you an article by an author named Dan Wos, who, matter of fact, the name of his article is, Despite Media Panic, It's Your Right to Own the Same Guns as Our Military. Amen, Mr. Wos. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Captain Rob and the Listener Retention Squad is on standby. Life has a way of throwing unforeseen events and new opportunities our way. At Glover, Orndorff & Flanagan Wealth Management, they are dedicated to putting your interests first with a truly personalized approach. They are there to bring confidence to your investment planning choices. Whether you need income production for retirement, 401k guidance, long-term investments, or other financial planning needs, they'll focus on the establishment of a plan tailored to your life's priorities. For more information, call Bill Orndorff, partner with Glover, Orndorff & Flanagan Wealth Management today day at 321-344-1202. 321-344-1202. Investment products and services are offered through Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network, LLC. Member SIPC, Glover, Orndorf and Flanagan, LLC, is a separate entity from Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network. My buddies out at WJS Guns in Merritt Island, Bill Staysack and Dalton and Troy and the gang out there do a fine job taking care of all their customers, including law enforcement officers who want to buy blue label firearms. He's a blue-label dealer for multiple manufacturers, also very female-friendly. They do a great job serving all of their customers. They will get you squared away and well-regulated in your Second Amendment rights. He offers handguns, long guns, a great selection of 1791 Gun Leather brand holsters, also body armor, uh, ammunition. Uh, magazines. What are you looking for? Bill's got you covered out there at WJS Guns. Check him out at WJSGuns.com. If you want to do some fishing, he's got you covered with fishing tackle. Bill is a total outdoor store. WJSGuns.com. Check him out there. Do make sure you tell him you heard about them on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Shootingclasses.com. If you are a firearms instructor, that's the only logical place to run your firearms business from shootingclasses.com. You can set up your page there, set up your profile, set up your classes, take payments there, your certificates are auto-generated, rosters are auto-generated, and also sends emails out to your students before the class reminding them, at least a week or two out, they have a class coming up. And uh, I can't find any other platform out there where it makes sense to run your business from if you're a firearms instructor. Everything's right there. Even, even if you want to print your financial reports come tax time, it's all right there at shootingclasses.com. If you're a student, uh, set up an account out there and you get matched up with some serious, serious firearms instructors, men like David Boone Benton, Israel Matos, Chris tonto Ferranto, and guys like that, Bill Orndorff, Bruce Corey. Those are the guys that actually founded shootingclasses.com. It is, I'll tell you what, it's genius. And it simply doesn't make sense to try to run your business from any other platform. Shootingclasses.com. Counter-Strike Tactical is the best little gun store in Melbourne. And proud sponsors of the Shooting Straight Radio Podcast. Visit us at 1008 Strawbridge Avenue and see the custom AR builds by Anthony Vallejo, owner and combat veteran, plus go-to weapons brand rifles, AR-15s, AK-47s, handguns, ammo, tactical rifle accessories, and more. Anthony also offers laser engraving and serifers. So stop in at 1008 Strawberry Avenue and visit the best little gun store in Melbourne or call 321-499-4949 and tell Anthony that Roy sent you. I'm very grateful to Glover Orndorff and Flanagan, WJS Guns, ShootingClasses.com and Counter-Strike Tactical for your continued uh, support And sponsorship of the shooting straight radio podcast. You guys keep it happening. And, uh, and I really appreciate you. I really do. I can't say that enough. And I wish there was so much. I wish there was a much bigger way I could express my appreciation, but I guess the biggest way I could express my thanks is to continue doing exactly what I'm doing. Obviously all of you, my sponsors believe in what I'm doing here or you wouldn't be sponsoring this program. And and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. So this article by Dan Wos, uh, despite media panic, it's your right to own the same guns as our military. And I have said this before. I've actually been questioned sometimes where I've been invited to speak before uh, political action groups and such, and I've been asked, "Well, do you think it's that you think the citizens have the right to own machine guns?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, absolutely." Uh, what about a what, what about a Bradley fighting vehicle? Yes, absolutely. Oh, well, why do you think that? And my response is, why do you think I'm not? Why do you think I don't have the right to do that? Why do you think you don't have the right to own a Bradley fighting vehicle or an armored personnel carrier or an anti tank cannon or anti aircraft cannon? Why is it that you cannot be trusted with it, but the government can? Are you a morally minded person? Well, yeah, of course. Uh, are you cut from the same moral fabric as uh, the government? Well, actually, no, you're not. You're of a higher moral fabric. They like to think the other way around, of course. But we all put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time. So we're not, I said this in the last program, we're not a lesser class than our government. Yeah, that. listen to me. We're not a lesser class than our government. They are not the ruling class, and we are not the servant class. They are actually the servant class, and we the people are the ones uh, of whom by and for this government is supposed to be. So, into the article now. He said, Our founding fathers did not create the Bill of Rights to give you rights. They created the Bill of Rights as a reminder to the government that these rights are inherent simply by being human. Rights cannot be granted or taken away. However, rights can be violated, and unfortunately, we see that frequently concerning our right to keep and bear arms. God gives us our rights, and Democrats think they can take them away. They view your rights as government-issued privileges that they control. When government officials yammer on about what guns are allowed and what guns are not allowed, they are viewing the Second Amendment as a privilege or allowance that can be manipulated. It's a shame that those we entrust to uphold and defend our sacred Bill of Rights don't understand the fundamental purpose of those constitutional amendments, and might I add, they don't care either. Unfortunately, those who don't want you to be able to defend yourself will always find a way. In 1939, in a case called U.S. v. Miller, a court ruling was falsely determined that a shotgun uh, having a barrel of fewer than 18 inches was illegal because it had no relationship to the preservation of a well-regulated militia. And the wording from the ruling was... The court cannot take judicial notice that a shotgun having a barrel less than 18 inches long has today any reasonable relation to the preservation of uh, or efficiency of a well-regulated militia and therefore cannot say that the Second Amendment guarantees to the citizen the right to keep and bear such a weapon. And that's from United States, United States versus Miller uh, back in 1939. Uh, to this day and this is me talking, not the article, this still makes no sense to me. Arms of the early militia included cannons loaded with grape shot designed to spread hundreds of lead balls over a large area with a shotgun type effect. And so the employment of, uh, saturating uh, weapons that would saturate the air with a literal cloud of projectiles is nothing new at all. And where the original prohibition against short-barreled rifle and shotguns actually came from uh, was from the idea, back when they were crafting the, the NFA and the GCA and things like that, uh, they were really heavily trying to ban handguns outright or heavily regulate them. Fortunately, NRA uh, fought them on that, and it, it got dropped. But the short-barreled this and short-barreled that That stayed in there, and the reasoning was the people that put that in there put it in there as a preemption against anybody who might try to circumvent the handgun ban by cutting down the barrel of a shotgun or a rifle and carrying that instead and say, well, this isn't a handgun, it's a rifle. This isn't a handgun, it's a shotgun. That was the whole uh, impetus behind that, and I hope I used the right word there. So um, it was designed to circumvent that uh, that notion. So, but how did this judge come to the erroneous conclusion that such weapons like short-barreled shotguns are not covered under the Second Amendment? Who decided that? Whoever uh, floated that idea? Because shotguns have been used in warfare literally since 1776 when uh, Minutemen used their fouling pieces loaded with heavier shot against the British. And by the way, shotguns are still used in our military today. And yes, back when they were used in World War I as what they called a trench sweeper or a a trench broom, they sawed the barrels down on them, sometimes down to 12 inches long, in order to get a wider spread. Matter of fact, in Vietnam... A man named Patches Watson, who's now deceased, rest his soul, he served with the late Dick Marcinko of SEAL Teams. He's the one that founded SEAL Team 6, and he served with with Marcinko on a SEAL team in Vietnam. He carried a shotgun with an attachment on it called a duckbill attachment, which essentially enabled the shotgun to spread the shot horizontally in what Mr. Watson said was roughly an eight-foot-wide pattern at anywhere from 50 to 75 feet. By the way, get his book, Point Man. It's an autobiography by Mr. Watson himself, and it is absolutely riveting. He was a point man on Mr. Dick Marcinko's SEAL team in Vietnam and never lost a man. And he was a ferocious fighter. Now, back to continue the article here uh, regarding the U.S. versus Miller, where they said that the short-barreled shotgun had no military value and therefore was not protected by the Second Amendment. Uh, that was the beginning of the gun grabbers, I'm reading the article again, correlating the Second Amendment with militia use only. But they ignore the fact that the decision recognized military use weapons as guaranteed under the ruling. <laughs> and I brought that out on a program, I don't know, a couple years back when I was still on the air on WMMB. <clears throat> Um, they would use this militia-only tactic for 70 years to justify gun control unless you're part of a well-regulated militia. As a side note, their idea of being well-regulated was, of course, government-regulated. And, of course, your host uh, will also add here, well-regulated doesn't have a stinking thing to do with government oversight, but everything to do with being well-trained and in good working order. And by the way, every single American citizen, in order to be a part of the well-regulated militia, needs to be well-regulated with the firearms they own. That is, well-practiced, well-trained, and being able to use them and keep them in good working order. The article continues, why would the people who had just got done defeating a tyrannical government in pursuit of freedom give that regulating authority back to the government? Good question. Nowhere in the Second Amendment does it say that the government was to be doing the regulating. So why are we letting the gun grabbers run away with a narrative that military-style weapons should not be allowed? Well, I'm going to interject here, Mr. Wos. Um, for one thing, they control the narrative because they control the airwaves and the media. We don't exactly just sit back and allow them to control the narrative. As a matter of fact, this program has been dedicated to for the last eight years to countering their false narrative. Back to the article. The Miller case clearly suggests that military-type weapons would be covered under the Second Amendment. That would include machine guns, rocket-propelled grenades, and a whole list of other military weapons. Amen, Mr. Woese. During that time, the government argued that the Second Amendment protected the collective right of being armed during active militia service, but the court directly rejected that argument. In a lower court decision, a judge misrepresented the individual right the Second Amendment recognizes and latched onto the "quote unquote" collective right. After that, courts jumped on that. I'm sorry. Let me let me repeat that. Courts jumped on that misrepresented interpretation. How many times have I told you about precedents? Whenever one court establishes a precedent. Other courts are reticent to overthrow that decision and they simply quote or cite the previous decision and say, well, I'm resting my decision on that, rather than actually reading the Constitution like Justice Clarence Thomas and others did recently during the Bruin decision. The article continues, since then, every effort was made to prevent the Supreme Court from ever seeing Second Amendment cases because if the Supreme Court were to see these cases, the hypocrisy would be revealed. The gun grabbers loved the idea that the Second Amendment could be be twisted to fit their narrative, that it was to be reversed only for collective, I'm sorry, was only to be reserved for collective government-regulated militia use. They hate the part that says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That part is indisputable, so they pretend it doesn't exists. And it goes on to talk about some other things in here, uh, in regards to Hughes and Heller and, uh, and other things like that. It's a little bit laborious and I don't want to bore you with it. I want to get right into a list of about 15 questions before I let you go. And I want you to possibly transcribe these questions and and keep them in your phone or on your computer. And matter of fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a list of these, a separate file with these questions. And if you'd like a copy of them to ask your liberal friends, if you have any such liberal friends or people you may disagree with about the second amendment, you can ask them these 15 questions. And I typed these up on my lunch break today at work. A lot of fun. Number one, to those who don't like the fact that we do have the right to keep and bear military arms, Why do you hate lawful citizens bearing arms in public? Now, of course, their answer is going to be something along the lines of public safety because they uh, are duped by the media narrative. They swallow it hook, line, and sinker because the media knows how to frame things to make them sound good, and if something sounds good, a lot of times people simply will not question it with their own reasoning, or even search out any facts that might counter what the media says. So when you ask them, why do you hate lawful citizens bearing arms in public? Invariably, it's going to have something to do with public safety. Yeah, as if lawful people carrying guns is, uh, you know, uh, a breach of the public peace somehow. Well, second of all, When has the free, responsible exercise of the right to keep and bear arms ever harmed an innocent person? And phrase it just like that. When has the free, responsible exercise of the right to keep and bear arms ever harmed an innocent person? And then remind them that every day over 120 million gun owners do exactly that. We freely and responsibly... Exercise the right that God gave us to keep and bear arms, and nobody gets hurt. Yes, when people behave irresponsibly with firearms, people can get hurt and do get hurt all the time. But when you behave in a free and responsible, because with with all freedom comes responsibility, when you're responsible in the exercise of the right to keep and bear arms, it will not harm an innocent person, including yourself. Three. Why do you, liberals, conflate violent criminals with lawful citizens who keep and bear arms for their personal protection? Why do you do that? Please explain that. Because I, I I cannot fathom a guess as to what their answer might be other than, the, the well, the media said this and the media said that, if they'll be honest enough to admit it. Because I've said this before a hundred times on this program, that's what the media does. They... They conflate, they group together, all people with guns, whether they be good people with guns or criminals with guns, they put us all in one pot and then say, see, some of y'all are doing bad crap with your guns and therefore none of you can be trusted. By the way, the estimation is that 40,000 people every year are killed by guns. Uh, What they forget is about half of those are suicides. They're not murders, and they're not committed by, certainly not committed by lawful keepers and bearers. What they're also not telling you is that a large portion of them are actual justifiable homicides by police and armed citizens. The actual number of murders that take place with firearms is right around anywhere from 8,000 to maybe, I'll go ahead and give you a high number, 10,000, Okay. All right, 10,000 people a year murdered by guns. Uh, Since when do the actions of murderers dictate whether or not we can freely exercise our rights? Since when was the free exercise of our rights contingent upon their actions? A rhetorical question, of course. By the way, you take that 40,000 people killed every year by guns and you look at the percentage of that uh, 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 if you want to conflate all of us together, let's say this. Okay. And 40,000 people a year killed by guns. That's 0.04% of people that actually own guns, whether they be lawful or unlawful that do bad things with their guns. There you go. And again, I say, more than half of them are suicides. You only have actually like eight to 10,000 actual murders committed by evil, bad people. So it's actually even less than that. It's 0.010. Yeah, let that sink in. Four, should the free exercise of any of our rights be contingent upon the irrational fears of our fellow citizens or upon the crimes of the lawless? Well, that's a very good rhetorical question. Uh, if you think we should have our guns stripped from our possession based on what you're afraid we might do with them, well, does that mean we should all have our tongues ripped out too so we can't scream fire in a crowded theater? Yeah, don't give the government any ideas. They might you know, start floating and proposing bills for that. Next. Um, especially since they don't like things that we say, especially what I say. Number six, uh, since you want more gun control laws, can you point to any existing gun laws that have ever prevented or stopped a violent crime? Yeah. Number seven, why do you believe that a completely unarmed society would be a completely safe one? And then point them to the average prison. Ask them, would you like to live in a prison? No. Why, why not? Oh, because uh, people get sexually assaulted in there and murdered and stabbed and beaten and robbed. Uh, really? You, d- you don't say well, they're all unarmed and only the police have the guns and everybody's on welfare there. They don't have to pay for anything, get three hots and a cot and no bills. Yeah. Well, that's a socialist utopia if ever there was one. Mm. Number eight, are private citizens a lesser class than the government? Well, let them think about that because a lot of them think that we are. They think whatever the government says, we just have to snap to and do it. Of course, when their people are in government, yeah. When the other side's in government, oh, no, he's to be uh, defied and rejected at every turn. Mm -hmm. Well, if private citizens are not a lesser class in the government, then why can they not be trusted to keep and bear arms? Well, but the government can. Mm -hmm. Number 10, have governments ever done... Criminal things to their citizens throughout the history of mankind. Uh, that's you know the answer is right in the very first part of the chapter of the first chapter of the book of Duh. Even in the twentieth century, in the twenty-first century, there are a plethora of examples of governments kidnapping, murdering, torturing their citizens. That uh, the who whose thoughts and words and ideals. They did not like. Well, are citizens required to allow themselves to be, this is number 11, are they required to allow themselves to be kidnapped, held against their will, tortured, or killed by street thugs? Well, of course not. Okay, how are we supposed to defend ourselves against the street thugs? Well, the police will defend you. Mm, No, I think it's already proven they can't. That's a, that's a fallacy. I mean, you, I don't know why you would cling to such a fallacy. But if it's not okay, if, it, if we're not required to allow ourselves to be uh, kidnapped, held against our will, tortured, or killed by, you know, in a criminal fashion by street thugs, then is it okay for the government to do those things to its citizens? Why, I mean, if it's got government sanctioning, it's okay then. Is that what you're saying? Well, of course not. It's not okay for a government to do those things any more than it's okay for street-level crooks to do those sorts of things. Well, if they actually go, well, yeah, it's okay when the government does it. Well, if so, why? Again, is the government in a class above the citizenry and do they have predation rights? Do they have right to prey upon the citizenry at will simply because they're the government and we're the citizens? Of course not. And since, and since not, then how are citizens supposed to defend themselves against their own government if and or when it waxes tyrannical against them and totalitarian? What are we, what are we supposed to do then? Get a restraining order? Uh, we already had one signed back in 1791 called the Bill of Rights, and they presently willfully violate that with impunity. It means nothing to them. They still assault it with every turn and the people that it's supposed to protect. Number 14, can you offer any documentation or studies or other proof that responsibly armed citizens are the cause of violent crime? Of course you can't. So number 15 is, again, why do you still want to disarm your fellow citizens who are no threat to you? Huh? A lot of you, even on the liberal side, you don't want to disarm the police. So you're not really against guns, you're against certain people having them. Which means you are obviously uh you you recognize class that doesn't exist. That's right. There's a there's an enforcement class and a ruling class and the lowly citizen class. And the enforcement class has the right to be to brutalize and, 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 uh, and victimize the public simply because they're the police. Is that what you're saying? Well, of course not. So why do you still want to disarm your fellow citizens who are no threat to you if you don't want to disarm the police whom you claim, well, you always tell us, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to worry about. Well, you don't want to disarm them. Do you want to disarm the government? Well, no, we don't want to disarm the government. There's threats out in the world. Exactly. So if our government should not be disarmed of its nukes and other things, because there's other people out there with nukes who might do stupid and bad things with them, why do you have this notion that the individual citizen should not keep and bear arms to defend himself or herself against known threats that are out there amongst us here in society who prey upon us at will. Why do you think that? We're no threat to you. We walk amongst you every day, armed to the teeth. I walk amongst so many of you every day, with a fully loaded Glock 17 on my right side and two fully loaded 17 round mags on my left and you would never know it because number 1 I'm very responsible in the in the free exercise of my keeping and bearing of arms I'm never somebody you would have to worry about unless you are a criminal who's trying to harm me and or my family or even an innocent person that I happen to be around at the time Then you'll find out, oh, yes, I am a threat to you. I'm not unskilled. I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I've had the honor of training with some serious dudes. So, no, but that's power that I would never abuse, like our government. That's power that I would never intentionally harm another human being with, unlike our government or unlike the other criminals in low places. Why do you want me disarmed? And remember, what has changed, the people or the guns, the people or the weapons? Well, the people have changed, obviously. And because we've had a lot of people who are in this country who are very immoral and seem to lack a moral compass and have no principles, and most of them gravitate towards government positions— Why should we be unarmed in the face of that? Now, more than ever, we should be armed. The threats have increased, not necessarily the lethality of the weapons. So, take that with you, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. This is Royce and I will see you then. Let's see. Don't forget shootingstraightradio.com. You can catch all the episodes there. And uh, until the next one, keep your head on a swivel. Keep your gun loaded. Keep your powder dry. And keep in contact with your representatives. This is the government of by and for the people. And you are them. And never forget. Yeah, you know it. Incoming rounds always have the right of way. Royce out. Sometimes.